Aloha and welcome to Thumbing Through Yesterday, the podcast where we take our favorite books down off the shelf, dust them off, and remind ourselves why it is we love them so. My name's Tom Gavley, and joining me today, we've got Tony Pasculi. Pleasure to be here as always. Looking forward to it. And this week we've got one of my childhood favorites, and probably I'm imagining one of your favorites as well. Absolutely. Uh, the Princess Bride by William Goldman. Yeah, or by S. Morgenstern as a bridge by William Goldman, as uh, we were saying before yeah. we started. Yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, actually by William Goldman. So, so the standard question, why, why is, actually, no, before I get to that, <laughs> how did you first encounter this book? I think, and I'm willing to go out on a limb and say, like the majority of the people that have read the book, my mm-hmm. first encounter was in fact with the movie. Um, oh, this is going to be interesting. Because, you know, and, uh, and, and the movie was just delightful and charming, you know, and Fred Savage and, um. Peter Falk. Peter Falk, yeah. Um, it, it was just a fantastic film and a, and a feel-good film and a delighted, lighthearted romp. Um, and, you know, when I found out there was a book, well, nothing would do but that I go read the book. And, and what was your experience of the book having encountered the movie first? Because I went the other way around. The, uh, hmm, it's been a long time. <laughs> um, I, I would dare say there was some confusion involved. Um, you know, actually, I think that uh, I vaguely remember having a conversation with somebody about the time, somebody that was familiar with the book. And I was actually uncertain as to whether Goldman actually created the book or if he did what he <laughs> claimed to have done in a bridged, you know, yeah. uh, another work. Um, almost everything that's in the movie is actually in the book. Almost everything, yes. I was I was paying attention There's to that. There's an awful lot of things that are in the book that are nowhere near the movie. So it's, it's a very different experience. It is a very different experience. I think I think the movie actually does a really good job of, of sort of trimming the, the book down to its essentials, making the frame story work much more effectively than it does in the book, uh, and, and sort of punching up some of the stuff so it's, it's just even more quotable, the movie is, than the book. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think that the movie succeeds in doing what Goldman fictitiously claimed he was trying to do, yeah. get it down to the good parts. I think the movie yeah. did a really good job of that. Yes. Um, so, all right. So, I, I, you know, I didn't go back and look up when the movie came out. When did the movie come out? I honestly don't remember. Ha, okay. Well, we can look that up later. I, I encountered the book first. In fact, I think, I don't remember. I think my sister found it. My youngest sister found it and told me about it, or may have gone the other way around. And I love this book because it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Um, it was it was a fairy tale, you know, so you got all that fun fairy tale business, but it had all that meta stuff around it, which sort of grounded the fairy tale in the real world a little bit. Uh, and it was just, it was just bizarre. And when you, I mean, when you met someone who had read The Princess Bride, you knew you had met someone who was of a similar ilk, yeah. <laughs> And then the movie came out, and then of course it became everybody's everybody's story. And right. So that became less special. Uh, but then the movie was initially a tremendous disappointment to me, having encountered the book first. Um, I loved Manti Patinkin, I loved um, uh, Andre the Giant and uh, Wallace Shawn, but I was not a fan of uh, Carrie Elwes and Robin Wright. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So I was just like, ah, oh, that's Buttercup? I don't know. <laughs> that's Wesley? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I suppose since I had seen the movie first, right, they yeah. shaped, so as I'm reading it, those are the characters that I envision. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't burdened by my own imagination coming up with something different. You know, it was, yeah. it was ready made for me. But now it's been so long that I literally can't read the book without seeing the movie in my mind. Yeah. It's just, they're entwined. 
Yeah. So, so that's less of a problem now. I love the movie. The movie's amazing. It's a great movie. It grew on me eventually. <laughs> it's a, it is a great, great movie. But it's also a great book. But I think in some ways the movie is better than the book, which is a rare thing. I think they just serve very different purposes. Yeah. Well, okay. We need to talk about the frame story because <laughs> the frame story in the book is not great. Uh, or do you disagree? Well, I, <laughs> it had been so long. I had forgotten so much of this. Um, and the, the, the copy that I read this time through was the 30th Same. anniversary edition. Yeah. Um, and I think the last time that I had this, it was actually pre-25th anniversary. So it was yeah. whatever the, uh, maybe not the original printing, but it didn't have any of the additional thing. It didn't have a lengthy foreword, which he wrote for the 25th, yeah. um, or the additional lengthy <laughs> foreword that he added on for the 30th. Well, not so lengthy that he added on for the 30th. It didn't have the... Um, the trailer for Buttercup's Baby. Yep. Um, it didn't have the excerpt from the um, the missing scene mm -hmm. uh, leading to the fire swamp. It, it was a much trimmer book, and my recollection of that is enjoying it much more. It got this this thirtieth edition, thirtieth anniversary edition got too meta for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, at some point you you really just want to say, "Will give it up? <laughs> just just tell us something." You know, because he starts in these elaborate tales. I really, every time I've read the book, I have wanted to write into that address to get the... You promised the to do that scene. last time and we I, talked. I did actually promise <laughs> that I would do it. Um, but so when I got to that point, I looked it up on the internet. I cheated. Yeah. Um, only to find out that for a while, the, the publisher actually was playing along with it. But of course, the department and the people are, are all defunct that did that. Well, yes and no. Because uh, my sister actually wrote in. And, and he mentions this in either the afterword or one of the forewords that they never actually sent the scene. What they sent was no, a letter. But right. Yes. But so they did play along to that extent. Yes. Yeah. So I found a copy of that letter on the, on the internet. And then that yeah. letter is printed in almost the same form in, I think, the afterword in the 30th um, anniversary edition. And at, at that point, I mean, the, the letter is basically saying... Lawyers from Florin representing <laughs> yeah. the estate of S. Morgan Stern have prohibited me from distributing this. Yes. I was like, okay, you're, you're really starting to take this meta thing too far. Yeah. And then in the 30th, right, we, we, uh, we find out that uh, Morgan Stern wrote a sequel, uh, yeah. Buttercup's Baby. And, and, you know, William Goldman is all excited to, to be the guy that translates it, only to find out that the honor has been given to Stephen King. That was a bizarre twist. And Stephen King <laughs> didn't approve of what Morgan Stern had done with the original Princess Bride. What Goldman had done. Go, yeah. I'm sorry, what Goldman had done with because, the original Princess because Bride. Because in the meta story, Stephen King is actually of Florinese descent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and it just, and there's so many things that, you know, he talks about you know, when they're making the movie, he talks about talking with Andre and how Andre had made a pilgrimage to Florida and had yeah. seen the museum that had casts of Fezzik's hands and had, you know, you know these are real people, Fezzik and Vicini. And, yeah. and, you know, it's like, how much, I mean, clearly <laughs> this isn't at all real, but is there a nugget of truth in here? I would much rather have read a story that actually happened about a conversation between him and Andre the Giant. I would much rather have read a story that actually happened between Goldman and Stephen King. And I'm wondering if these almost happened and he's just changed constantly because I think he's pretty expert at, at blending seamlessly between fact and fiction in those in those meta things uh, because he does include some true stories um, like when he talks about uh, Butch writing he wrote Butch Cassidy and mm -hmm. Sundance Kid and he talks about a line uh, he wanted to include called you know I've got 2020 vision the rest of the world wears bifocals 
And I think that's something he also mentioned in one of his books, Adventures in the Screen Trade, where he talks about his life as a screenwriter. Um, and so that's a, that's a true story, and he has it in this foreword. But then he also says that his inspiration for Butch and Sundance jumping off the cliff was the Cliffs of Insanity uh, in The Princess Bride, which mm-hmm. obviously is not true. Yeah, so he just he does that. He has some true anecdotes in there and some very, very false anecdotes in there. Uh, and you have to know... Well, I think you can discount anything that says it takes place in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Probably so. Yeah. Um, So. Yeah. So it. uh, The other thing, he in his various forewords and afterwards, he talks repeatedly about his experience writing the Marathon Man. Yes. I'm currently reading the Marathon Man. Ah, excellent book. The foreword to the Marathon Man has got almost the same story. Um, I don't even remember which one it is, but it's almost word for word. An excerpt from the foreword for Princess Bride, or vice versa. Yes. Um, so he's recycling his anecdotes between. Yes. Between the books. So that one I think um, you can count on as as true. Probably for the Princess Bride foreword. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in the my my recollection of the last time I read this was I I thought that the frame story worked. Um, it might, wasn't necessarily his best writing, but in a way I'm okay with it not being his best writing because it's just the narrative of reality going on around. This, mm. this lovely fairy tale. Um, in the 30th anniversary edition, I started to really get tired <laughs> of the meta. Well, okay, I think we have to separate. So the two forwards are not part of the text proper. Correct, yeah. correct. Uh, nor the, the afterward, nor, nor the, the letter, letter, nor Buttercup's, nor baby, Buttercup's nor the baby. Yeah. yeah. So, so the frame story we really should be focusing on is the one that's actually in the original book, which is how William Goldman came to a bridge S. Morgenstern's classic tale of true love and high adventure. Uh, and, and that frame story gets considerably simplified uh, in the movie, and I think all yeah. to the better, because William Goldman as a character is kind of an ass. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's off in Hollywood making a movie, and his wife is back home taking care of their kid, and he just rails on his kid for being fat and his wife for being cold, and I don't know how true these things are. Mm-hmm. But, but just what an ugly presentation of your family. Uh, and he's considering banging this Hollywood starlet who knows who he is while he's trying to find this book, you know? And I get yeah. that, too. He's, he's trying to lend some urgency to, to finding this book. It's so important to him to find this book that he turns down a Hollywood starlet, but dude, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, uh, just before <laughs> that, he's on the phone lying to his wife. Yes. I yeah. mean, he's at a swimming pool engaging with the starlet, and he's lying to her saying, I'm in a meeting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, you, you move from that level of of callousness um, into that whole, no, this is important. I'm going to find a copy of that book. Yeah. Um, so, so actually, at the time that I first read this book, I liked that because it made the fairy tale, in a sense, more grown up. This is a book for grownups and not for kids, uh, because that is not a story for kids, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so it made the, the fairy tale... Uh, one uh, made it, it aimed at a more adult audience, uh, even though it's the same thing that's in the in the movie. Um, but also, one of the things I loved as a kid is you just go and you pick a book off the bookshelf in the library, and you know you were pretty much unsupervised in the fantasy and science fiction section because everyone thought all that stuff was for kids, mm-hmm. and most of it was not. <laughs> and I just I just remember that kind of delightful sense of you could get anything you know in a science fiction novel or a fantasy novel. Um, and a lot of what we get now has been much more dumbed down and segregated by age and, and streamlined and sanitized. And I think that really, really works for the movie. And I think it's appropriate for the movie, but it was kind of lovely to have that more surprising and adult experience in the book initially. 
So even I though I don't think it works now, I look back at now, I'm just kind of going, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and I wonder if maybe, you know, if we had been doing this a podcast and existed 30 years ago and we had, had been doing it in, in that, that society, yeah. if, if our views might not be a little bit less harsh on the, There's, oh, he's, as you said, he's still kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes me want to do some research on his actual family and see if, you know, I don't know though. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, he does redeem his son in the end, if that is in fact a real person. Does that um, actually happen in the context of the book, or is that in one of the yeah, the Buttercup's baby? Yeah, that his that his son loses his baby fat and goes on to be uh, right so successful that, and fantastically fit and happily married. So this is like the the twenty first chapter in in <laughs> yeah. A Clockwork Orange. It was a late add on that that, yeah. that failed to redeem. Yeah. So another thing about reading the book first is for a long time before the movie came out, it was like being in a secret club. I think I mentioned this already. <laughs> and that was really nice. And then that, that goes away when the movie comes out. Uh, but I haven't met a lot of people uh, who have actually watched the movie and then gone to the book. I well, you know, I, I made that, the first. that claim, but I don't know. I, you know <laughs> I've, I've got the one yardstick by which I measure the world, and that's the way <laughs> I do things, right? So yeah. clearly everybody else does things the way I do things. Yeah. Um, if I find something like that, if I find a movie that I really enjoy and I know it's based on a book, the odds are pretty decent I'm going to seek out the book. That's hmm. um, not a compulsion or anything, but you know, like No Country for Old Men is on my list of things I want to get around to reading. Um, it was on my list until I realized I just can't, I just can't abide Cormac McCarthy's writing style. It's like, dude, use some punctuation. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. maybe that'll push it off. Yeah. But I, I, I do like I do things like that. You know, I, I enjoy, you know, and, and going the other way. If there's a book that I know and a, a book that I love, and they bring it to the big screen, yeah. um, you know, I'm always very ambivalent about it. You know, there's one side of me that's <laughs> jumping up and down, going, "Yes, I get to see it," and there's one side of me going, "How are they going to ruin this for me?" That is exactly um, it. It's like, oh, I am, I am. I am mandated to see this, but I'm going yeah. to regret it. And I've got game, some words for, for Peter Jackson. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we, we may come around <laughs> to that in a later edition. Uh, all right. So one of the things that jumped out at me as, as uh, surprised me was not in the book was the shrieking eels in the bay. There uh, were no shrieking eels. There were no shrieking bay. eels. The Vizzini shrieked at one point, but it was just sharks. It was just sharks or... Sharks don't have the same flavor as the rodents of unusual size. So yeah, they, shrieking there were a were couple things you fit. can see why they changed in the film. Yeah. Like uh, it wasn't the lightning sand, it was snow sand. Yes, yeah, uh, lightning sand. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, um, snow sand didn't ring true, but I couldn't remember what the original was or what the movie was. Yeah. So there, there are two or three little bits like that that you can see why they changed it. Yeah. Um, they also streamlined the, uh, the third act a bit. There's a whole, I can't even remember now, uh, Fezzik and uh, uh, Inigo going off on some side quests that they just like trimmed out. Yeah. Well, they you're talking about after they've been defeated by the man in black and then they're yeah. off wandering about trying to figure out what to do with their, their lives. That well, that's in the movie, but it's considerably shortened. Cons well, yeah. yeah, it's basically they show up in Thievesville, yeah, um, yeah, Thieves Quarter, Thieves, Thieves Quarter, I think the Thieves, Thieves Quarter, Quarter yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, there's a lot more to that in there. There was another whole section, though, that's just like, ah, this is not in the movie, and, it, and I see now why. This is just this is kind of <laughs> tedious, yeah. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't that, but it was somewhere around there, somewhere in that area. Uh, I will say this for the book and the movie. Uh, as, a, as a fan of fight scenes, 
This is one of the all-time great fight scenes. The the duel on the top of the Cliffs of Insanity mm-hmm. between the Man in Black and uh, Inigo Montoya. So good. So brilliant. Uh, it may be my favorite ever in in a body of literature. It's not from a play or not from a movie, just but from a novel. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably my favorite fight scene. It's it's a really lovely description. You know, and, and I love they, they get to spend Goldman spends so much more time with that, yeah. you know, and, and, and when they've both switched to their right hand and yeah. and the man in black is just a little bit better. Yeah. Um, in no meaningful way, in no one thing, but just a fraction of a, just a little bit better, a little nick here, a little trim there, it's yeah. slowly raining to go down. You know, so I didn't go back and watch the movie again, and I don't remember how the movie handles the flashback. Does it? With, uh, with his father? No, there is no flashback. There is no flashback. So we just, does he, how do we know about the six-fingered man? He explains it. So he expl- after, he the, right, okay. after the man in black reaches the top of the cliff of insanity, Inigo lets him mm-hmm. catch his breath. And during that, that moment, he shares his backstory. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think the flashback is very nice in the book. I like that whole yeah. story with his father is lovely. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I love the description. You know, every day I spend two hours squeezing rocks, and then I spend two <laughs> hours being agile, and then I spend two, you know, and he goes through this whole, and, you know, what did he spend, 18 years training his body before he finally came back to see the one man who could just tell him if he was ready or not? Something like that. Yeah. That's, that's one of the other great fight scenes in literature is when Inigo finally catches up with Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. Yeah. And the first thing that happens is he loses. <laughs> And Count Rugen gives a much better accounting of himself yeah. uh, in the book than he did in the in the yeah. film. He gets a little bit more time. Yeah, yeah. So that actually uh, that and Humperdinck both get seriously downgraded um, in the film. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole Zoo of Death. Man, I wish they had found a way to put the Zoo of Death in there. <laughs> but why would that have made Humperdinck so much more of a powerful character when clearly he's a, a little whiny toad uh, in the film? That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a he's a formidable adversary in the in the book, and he's he's not so much. He's a cartoon villain in the movie. Yep. Yeah. Although uh, something I was surprised coming back to the book because I'm not a huge fan. As much as I enjoy Billy Crystal and it's Carol Kane in the movie, I actually don't remember uh, as uh, as Miracle Max and and Vera and his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're they're so over the top, but that performance is basically written into the book. Yeah, and that's it. That's <laughs> it's, how it's written. The in dialogue the book. is is <laughs> spot on for that. Yeah, the dialogue and the characterization, and and he actually talks about that in um, I think in the Buttercup's Baby section, where he says, or does he talk about it in the book itself? Now I can't remember. I'm getting all my meta stuff mixed up. <laughs> this is part of the problem. Where his editor comes to him and says, these characters are too Jewish, uh, and he says, hey, take it up with Morgan Stern. You think Morgenstern's not Jewish with a name like Morgenstern? Yeah, so. I don't remember where that happens, honestly. <laughs> I don't know if that's in the book or in one of the, in the add-ons. Yeah. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. The, and there were a couple of little things that they dropped out of there, but again, for the for the film, it didn't hurt anything. The, the yeah. fact that he, he botched the miracle pill and it was only good for 45 minutes instead of an hour. That would um, have been a distraction in the, in the movie. Exactly. Yeah. But it was in the book, it was a lovely little countdown. It's yes. like, you know, he knew he had 17 minutes left. He only had two. Yeah. Um, that was fascinating. And that's the kind of thing I think you said you don't like in another discussion we were having where the, where the narrator inserts himself with, like, who is this person supposed to be? Who are they talking to when they're talking about, you know, he's not going to, 
you know, he thought he was going to do this, but he wasn't. But that's uh, actually Morgan Stern inserting <laughs> yes. himself yes. into the story. <laughs> uh, you know what? I do remember complaining about that in, in, in other contexts, and I, I loved it in this one. Yeah. Um, I, I love the fact that I had that secret knowledge. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, it was okay because it was a meta narrator inserting it, not a... So <laughs> Goldman actually repeats that device in another book that he wrote. He wrote a novel called Heat, which was made into a movie. Uh, about a uh, about a bodyguard, uh, and he does a fight scene. It's, it's another one of my favorite fight scenes. Actually, he's very good at writing fight scenes. Um, there's a fight scene that takes place in a hotel room, and he breaks it down second by second, and he actually labels the seconds. So in, in second number one, these three things happen, and then in second number two, these things happen. Oh wow! Yeah, so, it's like a turn-based RPG yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah. Let's see what I got here. There are always times. Now, the, the language in this is just delightful. It is. All the way through. And, and there are so many times reading this that I have to just stop and appreciate a sentence or a paragraph that I've just read you know, and, and, <laughs> and not just bulldoze past it. Um, one of the things I really loved was he had the whole parentheticals about when something happened in the history of history. Yes. You know, this is before <laughs> this, but after this. Um, it is, it is notably before Europe, but after America, which yeah, I don't know how that, that happens. sort of thing. <laughs> um, one of my absolute favorites, this was after Stew, but so was everything. When the first man first clambered from the slime and made his first time on the land, what he had for supper the first night was Stew. Uh, one of the uh, things that I highlighted here is this is a sentence worthy of, of Douglas Adams, which will be relevant uh, in our next episode. Uh, but they're talking about the fire swamp. Um, there are two. Uh, the largest one is in Perth, which is impenetrable. Uh, and then the one that we're talking about in this book, no one, no, no one had been able to discover if it was impenetrable or not. Just I love that <laughs> idea. It's like, isn't that, isn't that just impenetrable? Is that not a synonym for impenetrable? <laughs> Could well be. Yeah. Buttercup, as she's coming into her own, thinking about the beef-witted, feather-brained, rattle-skull-clod-pated, <laughs> dim-domed, noodle-noggin-sap-headed, lunk-knobbed boys. Yeah. That's another Douglas Adams worthiness there. Uh, and I learned a new word reading this book, which was syllabub, uh, which is a malapropism that Buttercup makes talking to uh, Wesley at one point. She's like, something, 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 every syllabub. And he knew she meant syllable and not the dessert. And it's like, I had to go and look that up. And it turns out <laughs> syllabub is actually a dessert. It's a it's huh. a girl that's in the dictionary. So I went right over that. Yeah. So not in this one, but in the next book, um, I realized that I was actually learning words, um, yeah. which we'll talk about shortly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think moving forward, I'm going to start uh, collecting a list. If, if I have to look a word up as yeah. part of reading a book, I'm going to make note of that. It's a massive advantage of reading on a Kindle. You can just hit pff, highlight. Yep. And if it's uh, the Kindle dictionary is not great. There's, there's often words that, that don't show up in the dictionary, uh, but a lot of them do. So that's nice. It does indeed make uh, make some of that easier. Yep. All right. Anything else on The Princess Bride? Nothing comes to mind. I feel like we covered it. Again, uh, it's been longer than it should have been since I read this um, in preparation, and I didn't take all that many notes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this is just it's such a fun read. It really is. I thoroughly enjoyed returning to this. I can't remember the last time it was when I read it. It may be... 20 years ago, because I, I think I stopped reading the book after the movie came out. I read it several times before the movie came out, and I might have read it once afterwards, but then 
I just watch the movie now. So it was it was fun to return to the book. Yeah, I doubt I've read this. This is probably my third or fourth time. I, I doubt that I've read it very many times, but I still think it belongs on the favorite list just because Absolutely. of the, the fondness I have for yeah. it. Yeah, it's iconic. It's just it's that just it one is. of those. Yeah. All right. So what do we have to look forward to to our next show? And next time we are doing a repeat author. We are bringing back Douglas Adams. You Woo-hoo. had. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is one of your mm-hmm. favorite books, and I have picked Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency is one of my favorite books. Uh, another good page turner there. Yeah. All right. We'll see everybody in two weeks. See you in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>